Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, November 28th, 2021. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Jenna Tessa Fox and Michael Portantier. Jenna has written about theater for many publications including Playbill, Broadway World, Time Out, HowlRound and she's a member of the League of Professional Theater Women and the Drama Desk. And she's also a contributor to Broadway Radio. Hello, Jenna. Good morning, James. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So uh, Peter is uh, traveling up in Boston this week. He will be back, but uh, he had a special episode out yesterday talking about Mr. Sondheim, and we're going to talk about Mr. Sondheim today. So if uh, you didn't hear Peter's thoughts on the passing of Stephen Sondheim, uh, check out yesterday's feed, and uh, there's a a great – I mean, Peter just – as I had mentioned before we started to record, uh, I – I saw that Mr. Sondheim had passed away, and the first thing I did was picked up my phone and I called Peter, and Peter said, I know why you're calling, let's do this. So uh, it was just off the top of his head extemporaneous. He's a genius. He's just, uh, we're, we're so lucky to have Peter at Broadway Radio. So as, uh, you know, anybody who's really listening to this knows that uh, Mr. Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim had passed away at the age of 91 the other day. And, uh, and as Peter said, at 91, it's not a surprise, but it's still a shock uh, when this happens. And I wanted to throw it over to Michael and Jenna to uh, get their thoughts about this. So Michael, you know, what are your thoughts about the passing of Mr. Sondheim? Well, first of all, on that note, as, as other people have said, um, if you got to go, <laughs> uh, do it the way he did it. Uh, first of all, in terms of health, apparently he, uh, you know, was basically seemed to be in very good health to the point where the day before he enjoyed a, a lovely Thanksgiving dinner with friends in Connecticut, uh, no one expecting uh, that he would pass the next morning. So just uh, he, he wasn't suffering uh, uh which is, I think we would all agree that, that that's the better option. And then uh, in terms of career, first of all, he has one show running on Broadway, another show running off Broadway, uh, a new film version of his first great success, West Side Story, is about to open. And he's also a character in and and very much uh, treated as an uh, a legendary eminence grease in the mm-hmm. film of Tick Tick Boom, uh, you know. So it's it's just been a, a real moment for him right before he passed, and who could ask for anything more than that? Uh, as far as uh, yes, I mean, if if the death wasn't so sudden, people would have had a chance to say goodbye. It's true that that people didn't have that the people who, who you know who were closest to him but i do think that certainly he was very well aware of the incredible affection and admiration that everyone had for him so uh people duly expressed their appreciation on many occasions both personally and with tribute shows and podcasts and articles and etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think that is 
you know, the way to go. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, Jenna, what about your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. Uh, I have long thought that funerals are kind of backwards. We, people gather to say nice <laughs> things about somebody yeah. who can't hear them anymore. And I remember last year watching the the tribute concert, the virtual Zoom uh, tribute show. Mm. It was delayed uh, by so long by so many things. Uh, I mean, that was all these different tributes and all these concerts and retrospectives. That's what a funeral ought to be, celebrating someone while they're still there to hear how much, how loved they are, how much they mean to people. And I loved that he knew, he had to know how much he meant to people and how much people appreciated not just his creative work, but his efforts to mentor and to pass on the legacy. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda shared an email that he got from Stephen Sondheim just a little while ago, mentioning that uh, he feels that he is passing on Oscar Hammerstein II's legacy by mentoring uh, this, so many generations of new artists. And I'm glad that he knew that. I'm glad he got to experience that and got to see so many celebrations and retrospectives and tributes so that he could he could pass on knowing that he made a difference and that he was loved and that he was admired. Uh, so like you said, uh, Michael, if, if you got to go, that's the way to go. And making <laughs> Be sure that to tell people who you love that you love them mm. so that you know, don't wait for a funeral to say all the nice things. Tell them now. And he got to hear all those nice things. Yes, fortunately, that didn't happen with him. By the way, I, I, I have to say, I, I, uh, I was reminded recently that I, uh, unfortunately, I think I've been saying his name wrong for more than sixty years, because apparently uh, the H is not supposed to be aspirated. I think most of us do say it that way, and since I have been saying it for decades and decades. I, I still slip a lot, but it's it's for what it's worth. Apparently, it's not Sondheim; it's Sondheim. Uh, because what? if you'll know, yes, if you'll notice, everyone who's close to him says it that way. Harvey Evans, uh, uh, people who work with him constantly, they really make a point of that. So I think he must have made a point of that to them. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm. 99.9% sure about that. Wow. So, so just uh, FYI. Uh, going back to the other thing you said, uh, Sondheim, <laughs> Sondheim, Mr. Sondheim, uh, has often said or did often say that teaching is a sacred profession. Mm -hmm. And he did, he certainly demonstrated that through master classes and through mentoring so many people. Yes. Uh, and uh, even in terms of answering letters from basically right. anyone who mm. would write to him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my first time in his presence was in the early 80s. I was going to graduate school at NYU. And one of the uh, musical theater classes invited him to come speak and uh, needless to say the room was packed uh and that was an incredible thing he was uh you know he was in rare form he he really just was in his element talking to everyone I'll, and i'll remember that's the first time i heard his famous story about ethel merman <laughs> uh that uh, she I, I guess he didn't in some ways, he 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 didn't have a very high opinion of her, or uh, certain aspects of her uh, 
of her performances. And he said that she came to him and said, well, I don't understand in um, Rose's turn when Rose starts to say mama, starts to sing mama here uh, when she's breaking down. Is it, uh, do I come in on the downbeat or the second beat? And he said, oh, no, Ethel, it really doesn't matter. You know, it's uh, Rose's, she's, she's um, having a complete breakdown. She's having a, an almost a, a, a psychotic break because she's realizing that, uh, you know, her relationship with her daughter is, is, is so, so uh, broken. And she, she realizes that, you know, her life is, is amounts to nothing. And it's, it's really just, she's really just breaking down and it really doesn't matter. And Ethel said, yeah, I know, but on the downbeat or the second beat. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he really liked, he really liked telling that story. It's <laughs> very funny. Jenna, what uh, you had mentioned before about the whole, uh, aspect of, uh, telling people how cherished they are when they're still alive. Um, and in 2008, a young Lin-Manuel Miranda, mm-hmm. uh, while accepting his Tony Award for Best Original Score Written for the Theater for In the Heights, thanked a Mr. Sondheim. And, and uh, at many points, we have heard from uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda about the impact of Stephen Sondheim uh, upon him, which is really, really amazing. And uh, the, as the tributes pour in, uh, from all around the globe, um, uh, Lynn talked about, uh, he, you know, uh, up until he just had an email exchange with him do, the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, such uh, as Michael pointed out, the, the teaching aspect of it, uh, Sondheim was teaching Lynn all up until the very end. Yeah. And can you imagine, uh, y- you know, just the collaboration between the Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, on Monday evening, I am going to go see a screening of the Steven Spielberg West Side Story <gasps> movie. Uh, I'll be there, and, too. Oh, you'll be there? Great. Yeah. So Can I sit in there. one of your bags? <laughs> <laughs> well, if my wife bags out, I'll call you, Jenna. We'll Ooh. see. Uh, and see if uh, if uh, we can get you there. But so Steven Spielberg said... Uh, uh, what was it here? Uh, Stephen Sondheim was a gigantic figure in American culture, one of the greatest uh, songwriters, lyricists, composers of real genius and creator of the most glorious musical dramas ever written. And I mean, people have said this in the last few days, and I don't think it really hit me until um, Peter said it the other day, was that uh, he wrote, you know, the lyrics to West Side Story when he was 27. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my goodness! I, 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 you know, mm. at twenty-seven, I could barely put a sentence together. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was, well, the uh, uh, you know, you both alluded to uh, the continuum mm. of, of Sondheim. That alone, that aspect of his career is absolutely incredible. He he literally started studying at the knee of Oscar Hammerstein when he was mm. a kid uh, in Doylestown, PA, because they, they both had summer homes there. Uh, and to start with Oscar Ham- and Oscar Hammerstein, of course, his career began in the early, early 20th century. And he really mentored Sondheim. And then Sondheim went on to mentor so many other people, including uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Jonathan Larson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And it's, uh, it's just this wonderful thread, this wonderful continuum from the early 20th century to the present. I mean, it's a century. It is a direct yes. line throughout the 21st and into the 20th century from 1920s with Showboat all the way up yep. to Hamilton and whatever Lin-Manuel is working on next. Uh, there is a very clear line. Somebody posted that you know, without Sondheim, there's no Jonathan Larson. Without Jonathan Larson, there's no Lin-Manuel Miranda. Right. And mm-hmm. it sort of feels wrong to suggest that you know all of this was to create Hamilton. But no, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's passing on that legacy. And you know, who will Lin-Manuel Miranda teach and pass on that direct legacy right. as well? And here's hoping he does. All these people that have, you know, gotten grants and won awards through Sondheim's efforts, you know, turning around and passing on everything they've learned. Uh, well, and- I, I wanted to um, point out that uh, so many people have received these beautiful, short typewritten notes from Mr. Mm-hmm. Sondheim. Uh, and that uh, we've seen so many of them posted, at least on Twitter. I'm assuming they're posted Instagram, Facebook as well, and things like yes. that. So, somebody has been asking. Uh, somebody on Twitter suggested that there there should be a collection of these mm-hmm. uh, oh. these letters all put together. It just I want to encourage people. Yeah, take out a pen and paper and or type type up a quick note and send it to send it to somebody. There there there's such wonderful insights mm-hmm. into who. Uh, uh, who Sondheim was and and continued to be throughout so many so many decades of work. What do you, um, do? E- do either one of you have an opinion on? Um, are there different uh, different phases of Sondheim shows? Uh, it, were there the early years? Were there the mid years? Were the late year shows? And uh, you have any thoughts about that, or, or are they? Uh, Peter had talked about how uh, each show that Mr. Sondheim mm. wrote was was so different from the previous show mm-hmm. that they it couldn't really couldn't really contain um, uh, right. you know Class- classification like exactly that. Yeah. exactly from yeah, the I would Sweeney say, Todd. Yeah, I, I would say not really uh, well defined phases. More of a again a continuum and a evolution, constant evolution and growth. And he was in a very unique position, I think, to experiment in ways other creative artists couldn't. That he had other things to fall back on, and he already came from money. He could afford to take some risks and try something new, and he did. I mean, that's amazing that he was always able to do something different and unique, not just churn out the same thing over and over again, uh, which is huge. I mean, you can do that when you've got a financial cushion, uh, which uh, my my long-winded way of saying, invest in the arts, set, set up grants, set up funds so that people can mm-hmm. experiment and try things, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But I keep thinking of, you know, anyone can whistle. And you know, it did not do very well. It closed very quickly. Mm. Uh, but it was innovative. It was different. It was edgy. It was not something anyone had seen before. But apart from writing the lyrics for Do I Hear a Waltz, between uh, 1964 and 1970, he did not have another musical on Broadway. 
there was that long stretch mm. where, and you know, obviously he was working on company that uh, came along in 1970, but there was a long stretch where he was doing other things, and you know, grateful that he was able to do something innovative like company after that. But I'm I'm kind of fascinated. I need to go back and reread. You know, what was he doing? apart from the lyrics from Do I Hear a Waltz and Getting Ready to Work on Company, what else was happening in those six years? And hmm. what else was he working on? Let me ask Go- the two. Oh, Michael, what were you going to say? Oh, just going back to, James, what you said about people posting correspondence from uh, Mr. Sondheim. Did you all see what Josh Ellis posted on Facebook? I did not. (laughs) Josh Ellis Ellis was on the press team for Into the Woods, the original Mm. production. Mm -hmm. And as many of our listeners know, the song, The Last Midnight, was written at the last moment. And, really? and, and and put into the show. I remember that at the time reading about that in the press. Uh, and uh, so the the title of the song literally had to be read over the phone to someone at Playbill and they got it wrong and they printed it as Lost Midnight. So Josh had to call Sondheim and, uh, or, or write him and say, um, uh, you know, I'm sorry, they, they, there's this typo, uh, you know, should we... Um, all, you know, should I get my staff to get out our Sharpies and go in and and correct uh, 10,000 playbills? <laughs> um, you know, he said, or is it OK to, you know, you know, to leave it, um, you know, till the next printing? And Sondheim wrote back, get out the Sharpies. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think he literally meant it. And I don't think they did that. But I just thought that was a sweet story. Oh, that is really wonderful. So uh, let me ask you, uh, if you can reach back in your memories, what was your first uh, exposure to Mr. Sondheim's work? (laughs) Uh, Sorry, evil chuckle there, because (laughs) you see, kids frequently will have traumatic stories of opening a door and walking in on their parents in bed or something like that. My traumatic story was walking through the living room and my parents were watching Sweeney Todd just as George Hearn threw Angela Lansbury into an oven. And I began screaming because I had no idea what I had just seen, but I knew it was bad. (laughs) Wow. uh, So, yes, I I was very little, but that was my first introduction to Sweeney Todd and uh, then had to go back and watch other shows and watched Into the Woods, which was very disturbing in very different ways. But uh, I, I was not allowed to watch the entirety of Sweeney Todd for a while, but I had seen that one clip and that was uh, that scarred me for life. So you want to know why I'm in therapy today? <laughs> <laughs> I walked in on my parents watching Sondheim. I was, I was just rewatching that scene yesterday, by the way, that thank God there's that video of the touring production with, oh, yes. with George Hearn and, and, and Lansbury. That is, you know, that is a treasure. It is. Uh, I guess many of us uh, maybe first knew Sondheim's work through West Side Story mm. uh, and or Gypsy. Uh, I'm sure I those were the first two that I knew. But I, I do have a very, very clear memory of watching on TV in uh, 1970 uh, or 71, <laughs> uh, uh, the, the TV, uh, the initial TV telecast of the documentary on the company recording sessions. Mm. And I, you know, I was already 
quite deeply into musical theater by that point, but but it was Rodgers and Hammerstein and Lerner and Lowe and la la la. And I I remember how arresting it was to hear that music because it was so fresh and 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 uh, vibrant and in a different kind of sort of in a different different kind of musical language, but also hearkening back to the you know wonderful traditional forms as well and 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 even the fact that there's that andrew sisters number in it you know you could drive a person crazy Mm -hmm. uh chock a block next to uh, all this very contemporary sounding uh music that uh, and the, the lyrics of course are beyond brilliant and just to see plus the fascination of seeing it was certainly the first time i ever saw a documentary about a recording session for a for a broadway show album so so it was singular in that way and i i will never forget the impact that made on me and i was so so happy years later i guess when it came out finally on home video <laughs> um how about uh, yours, James? Oh, um, uh, uh, I, you know, I think I probably knew West Side Story first, but didn't ever make the connection between right. Stephen Sondheim and West Side Story until uh, until later. My, uh, I was very lucky that my parents, um, uh, uh, you know said oh you know you're interested in singing you're interested in performing uh let let us they they took me to a private voice teacher it was like the first thing i ever did when i was very young and my voice teacher um had me learn a lot of merrily stuff i think the voice teacher was a big sondheim uh fan and Mm. uh put a lot of the merrily stuff and that was my first introduction to stephen sondheim so um uh, and then from there, it kind of uh, it kind of branched out. So I was uh, very lucky in, in that respect that I was able to uh, get a teacher that introduced me to him. And then later on, as I started to absorb more and more musical theater when I was in high school, um, uh, I made the connection between West Side Story and then and then you know said, "Oh, I got to play Tony and." things like that. Uh, in our listener chat room, Debbie Schrager had talked about how uh, she'd always been struck by how he wrote women, that he could write something he didn't know and find what was universal there, mm-hmm. which was very interesting. Uh, I, I would argue that, however, uh, and not to totally disagree with you, Debbie, but uh, the way he wrote mothers, given his own relationship with his own mother, <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Uh, I mean, any show I would see, I would know immediately the maternal figure is going to be a nightmare and always were not a nightmare, but deeply, deeply flawed, very deeply. Yeah. Although maybe maybe one exception to that, and I don't know the show very well, is uh, is the last one roadshow. You know, mm, bounce, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, she's she's certainly, uh, you know, more palatable than than Rose and Gypsy. (laughs) I would right. argue, though, that uh, the mother has a specific song. Isn't he wonderful? Uh, I think that's the name of the song. Like, doesn't uh, doesn't he shine? Isn't he wonderful? Hmm. Singing about her favorite son to the less favorite son and making sure he knows Oof. that she prefers his brother to him. Good point. 
good points. <laughs> so again, I, mean, I won't say they're all monstrous, but deeply, deeply flawed. I mean, as soon as the baker's wife has a baby, she cheats on her husband and contemplates abandoning her husband and child. As soon as she becomes a mother, hmm. her decisions start becoming a lot more... I don't want to say you know, people do have to make that decision all the time. I don't want to pass judgment, but you know, it's it's as soon as he just really had issues with uh, mothers, particularly, and that really showed up in a lot of his work. It's a shame. It's a shame he never finished up the Sophie's Choice the musical. Wait, was the, I'm sorry. I, 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 can't tell I had if you're never joking, heard. Or? I had never heard that. I was joking. Okay. Okay. So Rob Johnston wrote that his uh, introduction to uh, Mr. Sondheim was uh, Sweeney Todd on cable as a second grader. Mm. That's uh, pretty dark. <laughs> a little priest made a huge impact. You know. Yes. Rob had to run out to the Wawa after that, you know, in uh, Northeast Pennsylvania. So. There is so much, of course, thousands and thousands of clips on, on YouTube, et cetera, that are Sondheim related. And two of them uh, that, I, that I recently discovered, well, one of them I knew about, the other I didn't. There is uh, uh, footage, uh, extensive footage of rehearsals for the 1973 Sondheim a Musical Tribute. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like it was pre something prepared for TV. I'm not sure if it actually aired, but it is on YouTube, and, and we're putting that in the uh, in the show notes. And it's kind of amazing. This was uh, the show that was produced as a benefit, uh, produced by Kurt Peterson from the original cast of Follies, directed by Bert Shevelov, uh, mm -hmm. Sondheim's collaborator on Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, choreographed by Donna McKechnie, and the cast was. Angela Lansbury, Cheetah Rivera, uh, cast members from Company Follies and Night Music, uh, Nancy Walker, Jack Cassidy, who uh, Jack Cassidy apparently was to have been in the production of Saturday Night that never happened mm. back in the 50s. <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't know that. Um, uh, so that's that's one clip that is a real treasure. You want to watch that. And then uh, someone uh, put a link to a clip of Sondheim singing and playing at Michael Bennett's memorial service. Uh, mm. And the song he sang and played was Move On. Oh. Uh, so that that's another great find uh, on YouTube. But you could, you know, if you choose to go down that rabbit hole, you can be there for the rest of your life. <laughs> you can so, find his, oh, I'm sorry, Michael, didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, 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 that's it. It's just, just, just choose carefully when, you know, like try to pace yourself when you go down the Sondheim rabbit hole on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, Rob Johnson, Rob Johnson also sent us those, uh, those links and I'll include them in the show notes as well for anybody else. And thanks, Rob, for doing that. And uh, to correct our, correct myself from before, it was Northeast Philadelphia, not Northeast Pennsylvania, which is... Southeast, uh, southeast. With this, the southeast part of the Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jenna, what were you saying? Oh, I was going to say you could also find uh, Sondheim's cameo on The Simpsons from I yes. know, how many years ago. Yeah. Which uh, is so Yes, I still occasionally jump onto that just to have a laugh. So a couple of days, uh, I, I did. if either one of you mentioned this, let me know. I, I, I don't think that you did, but he, um, on Tuesday... He was at Dana H. and Is This a Room? Yes, uh, apparently. He, he, did double a he did a double, a matinee and an evening performance. And uh, certainly uh, there are some mother issues there. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Um, but he, it just goes to show you that, you know, on, uh, you know, you could, on any given evening, you could find him at an off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, tiny room type of thing, or on a Broadway thing, supporting everybody else. And he was constantly out there and very accessible, mm-hmm. uh, just down at the... Um, at the Classic Stage Company production of Assassins a few mm. weeks ago, Claiborne Elder, who's in it, uh, posted some great pictures of of him with uh, Stephen um, on social media as well. And many people have mentioned what an enthusiastic audience he was, mm. uh, especially uh, at a comedy <laughs> I, I've, or something, anything that was humorous. I've told this story before. Uh, I went years ago to see my friend Steven Brinberg do his Simply Barber show. And I believe that was the first time Sondheim attended, just sitting there at Don't Tell Mama. You know, Steven Sondheim just sitting there at Don't Tell Mama uh, in the back room there uh, where I was last night for another show. And uh, and that was when Steven had started doing a uh, a parody of Streisand's, because uh, she, she made a, it was like the the pioneer album was 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 the parody and he uh did this hilarious uh parody of uh the moo cow song from uh from gypsy and he started it uh, extra extra hey look at the headlines <laughs> and then it was i have a new cow a moo cow <laughs> and sondheim was pitching forward in his seat just just hilarious hysterical laughter and i will never ever forget that seeing that him enjoying that so much it was a really great moment do either one of you have a a favorite song or lyric or phrase or things like that from some of the shows or some some of the other types of works uh that really hit you so hard to pick (laughs) i was going to say i mean 70 something year career how many songs uh I think the well, you know, I mean, it's natural in a moment like this to gravitate towards the ones that are maybe more profound, like "Move On" mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, the the Sunday, the title song from Sunday in the Park, which mm-hmm. is about the creative process and yes. and, and uh, songs like that. But the, his comedy songs were so brilliant as well, and and uh, I'm glad, that, you know, it seems obvious in a way, but but I'm glad that that the obits made the point of that it really is quite a rare achievement for someone to be equally accomplished as a composer and a lyricist. And it's quite a short list of musical theater people who have done that well. I I, I go to phrases such as uh, they hear drums, you hear music as do I. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I get choked up thinking about, those t- those things. Uh, Alan Teasley in the chat uh, talks about not a day goes by. Uh, Peter talked about yes. uh, sending the clowns and isn't it rich? I mean, you could just say isn't it rich? And people in, in our circles uh, will say uh, it's all we had to say is isn't it rich? And we all understand what we're talking about. The follies thing. Uh, it's funny because. Uh, I remember having an offline conversation with Peter many, many years ago, long before Broadway Radio. Um, 
and I, I had said something along the lines of, I, I said to Peter, I, I just don't get follies. I just, I, what, what's, what's the big deal? And, and Peter said, uh, he's probably said, wait till you're older. He said, he said, <laughs> you, he said, you will. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because it, it, it does resonate with me now. And, uh, and I think about the foolish things that I had said earlier about these things. And it comes back to, uh, you know, the, the brilliant mind of Sondheim and the things that he wrote when he was so young that were so ahead of his time. Uh, I, I think uh, a couple of years ago when my mom had passed away and I, I, just, I, I just felt myself coming back to uh, Into the Woods and 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 I couldn't figure out why because it was um, my I mean, my mom wasn't uh, somebody who was uh, interested in that show and I don't think that she and I had ever seen it together or I don't think that she probably ever saw it in her lifetime but um uh it the no one's alone really it it made sense to me months later why mm, I kept right. on coming back to it uh. So to, your other, to that other point you just made, Assassins was quite a flop in its first production, mm-hmm. I would say. And now it's, you know, it's continually, uh, regularly revived, including currently off-Broadway. Yeah, that, yeah. that Assassins production, looking for real estate uptown. Mm. Ah, so hopefully folks who are, aren't able to get a ticket at Classic Stage Company may be able to get a ticket in uh, 2022 mm. uh, as far as the rumor mill goes. And I suppose that, uh, you know, that was long before those discussions were long before Mr. Sondheim's passing. So I don't think it's I don't think it will, you know. One of those things that happens when somebody passes away is that there's a lot of focus and intense uh, discussion about these things. But I think you can't get a ticket to, to Classic Stage Company's Assassins right now. They're really hard to come by, and I think that they're looking for another space. We should acknowledge quickly that, as we mentioned before we started recording, that there are two events happening. Uh, well, th- by the time you hear this, they will have already happened uh, today, Sunday afternoon, one at the Bethesda Fountain in Central Park, and the other at the TKTS uh, booth in Midtown, with people gathering to sing uh, and hear reminiscences of of the great Stephen Sondheim. Hmm. All right. So, uh I want to wrap up for this morning. Uh, do you guys have anything else you wanted to add before we wrap? I mean, nothing I can think of except, you know, again, expressing gratitude that he lived, that he created, uh, that he mentored. I mean, I, I, I don't mourn this death the same way I mourn Jonathan Larson or Jerry Ross. Uh, mm. he, Stephen Sondheim gave us what? Uh, was it 19 musicals in total that he wrote either uh, lyrics or music and lyrics for? He mentored generations after generations. I, mean, I think the theater industry, especially the musical theater industry, would not exist as it does today without his guidance and his mentoring and his innovation. Uh, he made such an impact, and I'm just very, very grateful for what he gave us on a lot of levels. And I think his legacy is going to live on not just for generations, but centuries, I hope. 
Uh, I really mourn the ending of an era. He was one of the last connections to Broadway's golden age, but then he turned around and helped create a new one. Built a bridge. He did. He did. He yes. built a bridge. And, you know, I've been talking with people about, uh, especially since Tick, Tick, Boom has been out, about the impact Jonathan Larson had on musical theater, that in 1995, there were only two musicals nominated for Best Musical at the Tony <laughs> Awards. And that has never happened since Rent opened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he changed what a musical could be. Yes. And he changed what an aud- what the audience for a Broadway musical could be and who producers could market to, which opened up the floodgates. And it has never been the case now that we have had so few shows opening on Broadway that there would be only two original musicals even eligible for that mm. nomination in a season. Good point. And, and that would not have happened without Stephen Sondheim mentoring and passing on everything he learned from Oscar Hammerstein II. So, I mean, it's not hard at all to say that musical theater would not exist as it does today, as it has for the last 25 years, without his guidance and without his passing on the legacy. Well said, Jenna. Thank you. So we have something a little bit uh, different for you to listen to next. Michael, why don't you tell everybody about your little discussion with Mr. Sondheim? Yeah, it wasn't a, a direct discussion, but uh, not long after the film of Sweeney Todd came out, I, I was hired to write a book ab- about the, primarily about the movie, but about the adaptation of the show to the to the movie uh, by Applause Books. They briefly had a series of books called Music on Film, and uh, I know they did one on West Side Story and maybe one other, and then they discontinued the the series. I guess it didn't sell well, so I never got to actually do the book. But when I thought it was still happening, I approached uh, Mr. Sonheim, and he asked me to submit the questions and said he would send me a cassette of his responses. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I did, and he did. And, uh, and uh, I thought our listeners might like to hear the entire tape, which is, I think is about eight and a half minutes of his responses to my questions. Uh, the questions are not on the tape, but I think you can pretty much figure out what they were from uh, Mr. Sondheim's responses. Uh, I asked him, among other things, uh, I asked him about uh, if they had ever considered casting the role of Tobias with an, uh, a pre-adolescent boy on Broadway, uh, the way it wound up being cast in the film. And he really enjoyed that question because I guess I was the first one to ask it. And he, well, you'll, you'll, you can see what he says about that, hear what he says about that. And then uh, one thing that's interesting is he disagreed with me about um, Johnny Depp. I said something like, well, well, Johnny Depp sings the score in a, a, what I would describe as a pop rock uh, style. Uh, And I was wondering how he felt about that. And he said he didn't hear it as a pop rock style. So he couldn't respond to that question. So that I think is interesting. And then um, maybe the most uh, interesting thing on it is he goes into his feelings about the use of a chorus in uh, stage shows and in films and how he um, he uh, uh, honestly, I would say was often uncomfortable 
uh, with using a chorus because of the uh, peasants dancing on the green effect. Uh, he thinks it you know, can come across as very false when a bunch of people in a chorus suddenly start singing the same lyrics about, isn't it a lovely day or, you know, let, let, let's go dance for the king, uh, things like that. <laughs> um, so I, I, that's fascinating when you look at uh, how he did and did not use the chorus in his various works. Uh, the, the, the ones that do have a lot of chorus, like Sweeney Todd and uh, Sunday in the Park, I think are maybe the more stylized works. So that's how he was able to do it. But anyway, I, I hope you will um, uh, get, get a little kick out of hearing this unpublished, uh, these unpublished uh, responses of of Stephen Sondheim to these questions that I asked him about the film of Sweeney Todd way back in uh, r- not not long after that film came out. Hi, this is Boyd John here. This is Steve Sondheim uh, answering your questions as best I can. Sorry to be delayed in getting back to you, but as I explained, the last couple of weeks have been uh, filled. So here we go. I thought the score of Sweeney Todd was wonderfully adapted towards the um, to, to, to be the film just the way the, the stage play was in fact what's astonishing about the transfer is I think it's the first uh, filming of a, um, a stage musical first movie of a stage musical that isn't sim- simply filming the piece um, that includes West Side Story and even Sound of Music um think that the sound of the orchestra was sensational. Obviously, it was beefed up from the um, original orchestration, but not by that much. You know, it was, I don't know, maybe there were 60 pieces in the orchestra. I'm not sure. You can check on that. But I thought the sound was wonderful. Question number two of the singing. First of all, I certainly think that anything vaguely more operatic would be really a mistake. Uh, the problem of film and stage, the differences between them in terms of singing <clears throat> that's supposed to be part of the character, part of the action, is a really difficult one. And I think uh, um, Burton's choice of making it as conversational and low and intense as possible is the only solution and certainly the best. Um, I did not... Uh, you, you talk about Johnny... Depp singing in a pop rock style. I didn't hear that, uh, so I can't answer your question about that. Um, I certainly found him, as, as to use your words, valid and effective, um, but I wasn't aware that uh, it was out of style. So um, I don't know what to say to your question. But certainly the others would not have benefited from a more what you would call operatic style of singing, meaning more out front, more open, more directed towards the audience. Uh, number three, I think as far as the accent goes, the only reason for him singing, or speaking rather, in a, uh, 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 an authentic, what you would call cockney, which isn't quite, but nevertheless an authentic British accent, is simply that he was surrounded by British actors. One of the things in, in the United States is that, you know, uh, our original cast was, were essentially Americans, but Angela had, you know, a whole British.
lavishness to her. And the idea of Mrs. Lovett as a cockney is um, certainly central to Christopher Vaughn's idea of the piece. Um, I don't think the accent of Sweeney makes any difference at all because the accents in the show have to do with the class system. And in a sense, Sweeney is classless. Um, he's merely a victim of the class system. I think that Mrs. Lovett is a member of the class system. Your fourth question is really fun and a surprise to me. I don't think we ever considered casting Tobias as a boy. Uh, I don't remember any boys coming in to audition. Uh, my memory isn't terribly good, but I think I would remember that. Um, I think Hal always thought of it, uh, as we all did, in terms of a young atlas, but not a boy. Now, uh, Kenny was certainly in his 20s, but he looked like a 15 or 60-year-old. He did not ever look like a 12 or a 13-year-old. Finally, as for the cuts and the score, I approved of all of them. Obviously, you can't have the whole score and keep it as a sort of decent-length movie. Uh, and I'm not even sure that it would work well in the movie. But the thing that uh, Tim Burton primarily decided, which is what accounts for the elimination of the dollars when you taught, is that um, what I would call the peasants dancing on the green, uh, the, those choruses and operas where everybody sings the same thing at the same time, you know, isn't this a lovely day, etc., etc., or we're having an affair, etc., etc., or I hate the emperor, or whatever it is. Um, everybody having the same thought at the same time has always bothered me. And, and on film, which is an even morally, which is a realistic medium, it's a two-dimensional uh, repertorial medium, um, that kind of uh, concerted crowd singing really is wrong and I think embarrassing. We actually recorded the Ballad of Sweetie Todd, or started to anyway, we recorded the first chorus. And the idea, which was a, uh, which was a really elegant one uh, on the part of the screenwriter, John Logan, was that the opening shot should have some uh, sort of pool of blood that is gradually spreading, and the camera would pan up, and you'd see...
Ben's idea, or John's idea, I should say, was men. Um, Tim decided at the last moment, just before the shooting began, that this was the same kind of peasants on the green that God That's Good would have been, which is why God That's Good is in the movie. That's what I call the peasants on the green. And um, this, though a subtler version, because the, the, uh, the Three Penny Opera had a structure like this with the, <clears throat> the Borentop going through the piece, and that would have been a movie. It just seemed um, wrong, and I think Tim was right. I think one of the reasons the movie is so effective is that Tim cuts out all theatrical stage conventions, except for the fact that sometimes people sing instead of talking. Otherwise, it's an absolutely straightforward, realistic fantasy. And it's, that to say, it's a melodrama, but it's, it's directed and shot as if it were real, except for the fact that people occasionally sing. So, I hope that answers your question. Having said all that, I hope that helps you, and good luck with your piece for applause books. Um, I look forward to reading it. To end uh, with our musical moment after that, uh, I thought it appropriate to use Ken Jennings' recording of Not While I'm Around from the original Broadway cast of Sweetie Todd. Not the Ken Jennings, who's now on Jeopardy, uh, <laughs> yeah. but the other one who we, who we love for his musical theater work and for creating the role of Tobias in one of the greatest, one of the greatest masterpieces of musical theater ever written by anyone, Sweeney Todd. Why don't you tell us what the opening is? Oh, the opening, uh, so many thousands and thousands of choices, but I, I uh, thought we would use the Bobby, 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 Bobby <laughs> opening from, <laughs> from Company, because uh, in a way, I, I think that many people consider that show to be the, the start of uh, when Sondheim really came into his musical and lyrical maturity uh, forum and, uh, you know, is a wonderful show, but uh, maybe in a, maybe in a more conventional style in general and, and uh, anyone can whistle was, was very audacious, but it wasn't a hit. Uh, but company was a real, was the one that really established that here is a composer and lyricist who's going to, who's probably going to change musical theater forever. <laughs> I saw on Twitter somebody had said uh, Stephen Sondheim's walking into heaven just about now, and he walks in, and uh, Hal Prince and Elaine Stritch are sitting there <laughs> playing cards, uh, and she says, "Pull up a t- pull up a seat, Steve." And uh, somebody replied to it, "Stritch is not in heaven." <laughs> and uh, on a related note, I- I'm not the biggest Cameron Macintosh fan, but he mm. or or his people uh, made a wonderful statement about Sondheim's passing, and it was sadly there is now a giant in the sky. Yes, oh, that is yes, beautiful. I loved that. All right. So, on behalf of Jenna Tessa Fox and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye bye. 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 Hey, what is this? What are you talking about? Nothing's gonna harm you, not while I'm around. Nothing's gonna harm you, no, sir, not while I'm around. Demons are prowling everywhere nowadays. 
send them howling. I don't care. I got away. Of course you do. What a sweet, affectionate child it is. No one's gonna hurt you. No one's gonna dare. Others can desert you. Not to worry, whistle, I'll be there. Demons will charm you with a smile for a while. But in time, nothing can harm you. Not while I'm around. Not to worry, not to worry. I may not be smart, but I ain't dumb. I can do it, put me to it, show me something I can overcome. Not to worry, Mum. Being close and being clever ain't like being true. I don't need to, I won't never hide a thing from you. Like song. <laughs> Now let's stop all this foolish chatter and just sit here nice and quiet. Nothing's gonna harm you, not while I'm around. Nothing's gonna harm you, Toby, not while I'm around. Demons are prowling Others can desert you, not to worry, whistle, I'll be there. 